In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. These days, ongoing engagement with the Christian faith and the church is not to be taken for granted, even here in what has been called the Bible Belt. What draws people to pray, to worship in places like Trinity, and to serve in Christ's name? Not to be taken for granted that this happens. What keeps people coming back for more? They may have glimpsed something wonderful that is far from obvious to the world at large. They, we, may have been blessed to see the kingdom of God, God's rule, present and active, in the midst of this often troubled world. In today's gospel, we learn that what we normally perceive the world of commerce, communications, government, travel, education, family life, and so forth, while important, is only one level of reality. Alongside all this, and we hope undergirding and informing it, is the heavenly realm where God's will is being accomplished even here on earth. This realm of God is not always obvious, yet it's at work, Jesus tells us, as we sleep and rise and sleep again, bringing life and growth in mysterious ways. If perceived at all, this kingdom may seem small and insignificant, like a tiny mustard seed, but it has the power to manifest itself in huge ways for the benefit of all, like a giant tree which provides abundant shelter and nurture for the birds of the air. From time to time, God opens our eyes to see this, to see his hand at work in the world about us and his light overcoming all darkness. This happened recently to Julia, a priest friend of mine, while her, friend, while her family was on the beach in Bermuda. At first, she witnessed a horrible tragedy. A 38-year-old man who had been on a cruise with his family floundered in the waves, and the lifeguards were unable to resuscitate him. Describing her reaction, Julia wrote, I was feeling down about this all the rest of the afternoon, imagining the wife and the children at the hospital when the doctor came out to say that no more could be done. Thinking about the impact on the young lifeguards, for whom this may have represented their first on-the-job failure, wondering how the ship's crew would feel as they packed up the family members' belongings from the cabins to which they would not return. Then, toward the end of the afternoon, something happened that lifted Julia's spirits and gave her a new perspective. Looking up, she saw, in her words, a girl of about 10, straight home from school and still wearing her uniform, running through the open field above the concession stand, waving a few Bermudian dollars in her hand. I will never forget the delight on her face. Someone at home had given her money for an end-of-the-year treat, and boy, was she going to enjoy it. I watched her as she reached the concession stand, made her selection, then carefully carried it back up the hill 
to the door of a modest house. The small head of a boy poked out, barely visible but for the large grin on his face. The girl had gotten the snow cone for her little brother. In the midst of life we are in death, some older forms of Christian burial services say. Today, thanks to a young girl in an overgrown field, I was reminded that the reverse is also true. In the midst of death, we are in life. Julia was not being a Pollyanna. This is not about the power of positive thinking. Rather, the Bermudian girl's love and joy pointed Julia to the deep reality that God still reigns, that God is powerfully and lovingly at work in the world, giving his people life and growth, even in the face of all that stands in their way, including even death. Julia glimpsed the reality of the kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom is heavenly by nature, but it exists in this world as well and can change our perspective on everything. Once we have that insight that God reigns, that God's at work, that the kingdom will not be ultimately thwarted, life seems very different and very much better. During my recent pilgrimage to the Holy Land, I repeatedly encountered the Christ who was, to quote Isaiah, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We visited the site on the Mount of Olives where he wept over Jerusalem, the, the Garden of Gethsemane where he was betrayed and apprehended, the dungeon below the high priest's house where he may have been tortured and held the night before his crucifixion, and Calvary itself where he was crucified. Evidence of present-day injustice and suffering exacerbated my sense of our Lord's suffering. Bethlehem, where he was born, is now practically surrounded by walls in the name of security. We were there on a Friday, a holy day for most residents who are Muslims, and it was during the Feast of Ramadan. They, these folks could only go to Jerusalem for worship by standing in a very long line, leaving Bethlehem through a narrow checkpoint. Only one route was available to them, and they didn't have freedom of movement once they got there. They and their Christian neighbors who live in the West Bank have their water and electricity severely rationed and suffer many indignities even though most are as innocent as you or I. They just belong to the wrong group and live in the wrong place, so to speak. We thus see echoes today of the harsh realities of life in the Roman Empire of Jesus' time. We could easily get downhearted reflecting on such realities, past and present, just like my friend Julia in the face of tragedy on that beach in Bermuda. But it helps so much to remember that our Lord himself was not simply a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He took great joy in life, as difficult as it often was. He liked nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and fellowship with his friends 
around a table like today. He found it deeply fulfilling to bring wholeness and peace to people's lives through his ministry of teaching, forgiving, and healing. In his short time on earth, he began to form a new community, which we call the church, a diverse lot united simply by their common bond to the God we know in Jesus. Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom of God, that heavenly realm which is the deepest reality, despite all appearances to the contrary, he embodied that kingdom, the realm where God rules and God's purposes are fulfilled and to which we have access even in this life. And that's a matter of faith. Paul says today, we walk by faith and not by sight. But every now and then we get glimpses that that's true. This was cause for rejoicing in Jesus' life, that the kingdom was at hand, and it is cause for rejoicing in our life, lives. Those who have glimpsed the reality of God's kingdom in our midst are like the merchant Jesus described in another parable who found treasure hidden in a field and then sells all he has in order to buy it. These folks are also like that merchant in another parable who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Once you see it, you got to have it. <laughs> Such, we might say, are those who hang around the church a lot, knowing that this place, this community, points them to the kingdom, that pearl of incalculable value. This sermon might well end here, reminding us that we have great cause for rejoicing along with our risen Lord in God's eternal kingdom, the heavenly realm which is ours, both now and forever. That would be a, a good point. However, we need to remember that perhaps not everyone has glimpsed the, this reality of the kingdom as fully as we have. Not everyone has realized the amazing grace and power manifested by seemingly small acts of love and faithfulness. How can we best witness to this, to the kingdom, as Jesus calls us to do? Like him, we need not merely to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. The sacrifices we make out of love for God and others speak volumes about the power that is behind those actions, that fuels those actions. It will cost us something. Indeed, it will cost us everything, not only to acknowledge and rejoice in the kingdom, but to live in it, reflecting the costly love of Jesus himself. It is hard to live in the kingdom. It is hard to live with people as brothers and sisters and love them, I know most of us, if not all, are like Lucy Van Pelt in the Peanuts cartoon who says, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> and so it's, and it's work, it's a sacrifice. It, we need help to live in the kingdom. But, uh, and it is hard to be instruments of God's reconciling power, bringing people together who are at odds. Yet following this way of the cross not only enables us to experience the kingdom fully, 
it also grounds the good news of God's kingdom in concrete reality so that others might embrace it as well. There is no better form of evangelism than to walk in love as Christ loved us. I close with the words of Sir Cecil Spring Rice, an English diplomat in the early 20th century, who wrote the poem that begins with the words, I vow to thee my country. While the first verse talks about the more familiar realm of earthly life and loyalties, the second verse points to the heavenly realm, which is less obvious, but which is eternal, and to which we have access even now. And there's another country I've heard of long ago, most dear to them that love her, most great to them that know. We may not count her armies, we may not see her king. Her fortress is a faithful heart, her pride is suffering. And soul by soul and silently her shining bounds increase, and her ways are ways of gentleness, and all her paths are peace. <laughs>